Welcome to Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefer Tiller. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics. I'm Jeff Tiefer Tiller, my son Reese. We are joined by Jeff Hasley. Jeff and I have known each other since. Long time. That we. All right, so Jeff, I'm going to ask you a question that I think I know the answer because you and okay. I came into the fancy football uh, football guys the same year, 2007, right? Yeah, that's right, 07. We've been staffers on football guys since 07. Reese, how old were you then? Uh, I was one or two. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't <laughs> turned. Came on. He has not. He had not turned two yet. Which is funny because, you know, time flies. Time freaking flies. This is exactly oh right. <laughs> so these are going to be brief. We're wanting to just talk about one or two straightforward topics, give some opinions, have some strong analysis. Reese and Jeff have some fire they're going to bring. We're going to talk about the Panthers and what should we expect from Teddy Bridgewater? What will the Matt Rule, Joe Brady effect I, I see the effect, people using the Joe Brady effect, but what are our expectations? What, you know, applying Kyle Allen and Ron Rivera to Teddy yeah. Bridgewater and Joe Brady seems a little flawed to me. And then what do we, all right, let's assume DJ Moore's a stud and we don't have to worry about him. Who's going to step up the number two? Is it Robbie Anderson who got 8 million? Or is it Curtis Samuel who everybody thinks maybe this is the year, maybe this is the year. And lastly, not least, can Ian Thomas step up into the void created by, I would say Greg Olson leaving, but it wasn't that. It was Greg Olson being injured every year or being, you know, nicked up, right? Right. So let's get started. So Jeff, you're the guest. I'm going to pitch it to you. What should we expect from fantasy owners, from Teddy Bridgewater this year? You don't have to give me stats, but fantasy finish. Is he a top 20 guy, a top 12 guy, or I want him somewhere after quarterback 48? Well, I would honestly, I, I, I see him as a top like 22 quarterback right now. Like that's kind of like his floor and his ceiling could go as high as we think it can go. It really can. And it all kind of hinges on Joe Brady. So I would say realistically speaking, I, I think he could be a top 15 quarterback provided that the offense flourishes, provided that maybe the defense doesn't, because I think a, a bad or a poor defense is going to um, yield more production on the offense. So there's that. There's also what we know of right now in terms of Joe Brady, what he was able to accomplish at LSU. Um, you know, just looking at LSU in 2018, before Joe Brady arrived, they were the 38th ranked offense in college football in FBS. When um, uh, the 2019 season finished, LSU goes 15-0. and Joe Burrow throws 60 touchdowns and six interceptions. And, and uh, Joe Brady, of course, was the, the man behind that, him and Steve Ensminger. But uh, they were the number one ranked offense. And what's the difference? Burrow was there in 2018, right? Uh, Ensminger was there in 2018. Joe Brady's the difference. So – um, it's going to be interesting to see what he's going to do with Carolina, especially in a year where there's a new coach, you got, um, you've got new coordinators, you've got this whole system 
um, kind of in flux right now with COVID and with practices, no preseason. Wow, what's going to happen week one against the Las Vegas Raiders? Uh, and that's going to be the interesting telltale sign. And as far as Bridgewater is concerned, um, it's, it's, it's all based off of what he can execute in Joe Brady's offense. And of course, what Joe Brady can create to cater to Bridgewater. And I, I appreciate you framing it that way because I, I watched too many football games. <laughs> My wife would say way too many, but <laughs> too many where the coach does not cater the, the system, you know, like they'll sign a three, four D end and then switch to a four, three. And you're just like, why? Why? Yeah. But so let's frame this. Bridgewater was hyper efficient on low volume when in New Orleans. And mm -hmm. now he goes to Carolina. And so Brady and Bridgewater have some time together in New Orleans. Reese, what are your thoughts on Brady and Bridgewater, whether it's their time in New Orleans or whatever it is? Bridgewater was, as he said, very efficient. In fact, he had scored 0.6 fantasy points per attempt last year. And there was tons of volume in the Panthers' passing offense last year with 633 dropbacks. And I say dropbacks because not all, all not every dropback turns into a throw. It can turn into a sack. So I really – but I really like Teddy Bridgewater, and I think his ceiling could be quarterback 11. So what – Reese, you, I'm assuming you've done the research because we've read the book, right? And so – Reese has a book by the same title, took a deep dive. What was Brady and Bridgewater when they were with the Saints in, what was it, 2018? What was the impact there? When, when Brady was with the Saints, they scored five, over 500 points that year, which was third in the league. And he – 30 a game. Yeah, that was a good season for them. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. But, it was a, but that season was also overshadowed by the coming out party of Patrick Mahomes. So everybody right. forgot about him when he stayed in state and moved down to Baton Rouge. Gotcha. When Brady did. All right. So we, we all like Brady and rule, right? Jeff, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth. We like Brady and, and rule with Teddy. And, and let's be honest, Teddy was the Buccaneers second choice behind Tom Brady. And so Teddy had a market for his services. He chose to go to Carolina. Yeah, he's got ties. He's got ties. And, and he likes the opportunity. I, I yeah. think he sees a future as opposed to perhaps maybe not with uh, Tampa Bay. Plus you throw in Joe Brady, you throw in Matt Rule, and it's just a recipe that he was looking for. Right. And, and Teddy is pretty young, right? I mean, he's not an old quarterback by is any he means. 26, is he? He's like 50 days older than Carson Wentz which is crazy okay. okay that's a good way to put it I like that okay well especially when you think Brady's almost old enough to be his dad right <laughs> yes Tom Brady. yeah yes Tom Brady because we we're talking Buccaneers right too many uh, Brady's uh, right 30 yeah <laughs> so anyway you know I so I am optimistic with Teddy Bridgewater and Joe Brady especially like if we're talking Teddy Bridgewater, we're not talking about him as your quarterback one in your fantasy league, right? No. I mean, we're talking no, about we're the two. He's a two, and we're, we're arguing over, is it the floor? Is he a low-end quarterback two because of his floor? Or is he a high-end quarterback two because of his ceiling? 
And am I wrong, Jeff? Is that a way to frame it? No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, just I was looking at an article Chris Allen wrote, Teddy Bridgewater, when he Carolina, and he looked at when Bridgewater took over for Drew Brees in week two, after he hurt his thumb, um, that uh, the, the Saints, first of all, were averaging 34.5 yards per drive. Well, actually, they, they averaged that per season. Or, sorry, per season. For the season. Right. And uh, when Bridgewater came on, um, that yards per drive only dipped down to 34.3. So a really small difference. So what, what Chris pointed out in this article is that Bridgewater did well between the 20s, but he kind of struggled in the red zone where he had, um, you know, just, let's see if I can find it. Uh, where is it? I'll have, to, I'll, have to, I'll have to find the specific stat that I'm looking for, but he struggled in the red zone, whereas that's where Joe Brady thrives. Right. Uh, when he was with LSU, uh, Steve Ensminger pretty much ran the offense as the coordinator uh, in the, between the 20s, but then Brady came on, uh, and really kind of took the team over once they got into the red zone. And shoot, I mean, having the number one offense and Burrow being so efficient, I mean, there's a lot to say about that. So getting back to Bridgewater, how does this apply to him? Um, if he can remain and be an efficient type of passer in the 20s and let Brady really kind of take over in the red zone, I think that's going to be a huge help. Now, are we looking at Bridgewater turning into Joe Burrow? No, no, no. I don't think we're seeing that. I, Burrow's, I think, a much better, deeper passer, more accurate, deep. Um, you can even say that he has more instinctive uh, traits than Bridgewater. But uh, still, I mean, if he can be more productive, especially in the red zone, I think Bridgewater's rank, like you said, Reese, could be up to 11th. But that's not where he's being drafted. You know, he's being drafted lower, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Here's, if this is the case, then he's going to be a quarterback that's going to exceed expectations, and you're going to get a much higher return on your draft value, um, you know, taking him as the 22nd quarterback off the board and watching to see where he lands. So um, there's, there's definitely opportunity. You want to have players like that on your roster. You don't want it the other way around. <laughs> you definitely don't want that. And uh, you don't want to draft someone – um, with an ADP based on what their expectations are. So Bridgewater is someone who you can kind of draft with little risk with a lot of upside. Right. And uh, before we move on, Reese, you have anything to add to the Bridgewater conversation? Bridgewater, Joe Brady was able to turn Joe, uh, Joe Burrow into a high spin quarterback and the number one overall draft pick. But a lot of people forget Dwayne Haskins was able to beat him out at Ohio State. <laughs> so, yeah, true. You turn someone who is, who is worse than Dwayne Haskins into the Heisman, what can you do with someone who does have a talent in Teddy Bridgewater? I'm not saying Joe Burrow doesn't. I'm just saying. That's fair. But well, would you say, though, that Bridgewater has more talent than Burrow? No. I'm okay. just saying he has, he's a more refined short thrower. But the other piece to that, I, Jeff, I'm going out. I'm taking a stab here, okay? Yeah. Burrow had more talent on that offense skill position than any team in the NFL. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. He sure did. Jamar Chase, I mean, he has at least two first-round picks at which receiver, a first-round pick at running back. You think about that. That happens so infrequently that we have to go, huh, 
Well, that, that might be a stretch to say everyone in the NFL, but definitely college football for sure. But I mean, as far as the players are concerned, yeah, he had, he had whoever the heck he wanted in terms of talent um, you know, with Jamar Chase and, and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Um, you know, there's just uh, Justin Jefferson, not to mention having Joe Brady, you know, run your plays. And, and one thing that, uh, that Brady did a lot of once he got into that red zone, when he took over, you know, we saw a lot of those bunch formations, which is what's going to confuse defenses. Cause you don't know if that's going to be a run and those receivers, the X, Y, and the running back, maybe in certain cases bunched over. Um, uh, you don't know if that's going to be a run and those receivers turn to blockers or if we're going to see more, you know, if they, if they play it straight up man to man, if there's going to be more like natural type of pick plays, there's so much you can do off of those. And that's where he really uh, thrives. And I'm excited to see what he can do in terms of uh, uh, his offense at Carolina, especially with the weapons that he has. You throw McCaffrey in there who we already know how good McCaffrey is. Um, DJ Moore, who's just a, a, a solid competitor who knows um the offense well he's a a, a a good talent of course uh, and then curtis samuel who is almost like your uh swiss army knife who can do pretty much everything including running the ball and and then you've got robbie anderson as a potential deep threat or just you know as a as a potential um third or fourth receiver depending on how you look at it not to mention ian thomas it's also there so i mean he's got weapons and i'm excited to see what's going to happen in that offense with with Joe Brady. All right. I have a loaded question for both of you, and then we'll move off of Brady Bridgewater. You all right? All right. All right. I, I'm transparent, Jeff. So loaded question is being said loaded up front. All right. With no preseason, is it a help or a hindrance for the Brady Bridgewater effect? We can all guess that the negative is they don't, they're not able to practice. They haven't had rookie OTA regular training camp. Mm -hmm. also a blessing in there that other people haven't been able to prepare for it because what we also need to factor into this equation is Matt rule is a very good offensive coach. Mm -hmm. When he was at temple had PJ Walker, he had Robbie Anderson. So mm -hmm. I probably will get to this in a minute. I'm probably higher on Robbie Anderson than you are only because of that temple connection. Yeah. But true. Reese, what do you think? Is it a help or a hindrance? I think it's a hindrance on the NFL, but I think it's helped the fantasy owners because then we, because without a preseason, we don't know what Carolina is capable of. And it might let people forget about just how good Joe Brady was in LSU. How about you, Jeff? Yeah, it's kind of hard for me not to think of this um, as, a, as a hindrance because just the fact that they don't have enough time to practice, to put things into motion, to actually – walk even through the plays rather than even run them um, with no preseason to, to go up against. I mean, I'm sure they're going to have uh, organized practices and such and scrimmages, right? They, they have to. And otherwise, in other words, um, what in the world are they going to do prior to week one? Is week one going to be just like, whoa, let's see what happens, you know? Um, Raiders defense. Flags everywhere. Oh, my gosh, it could be a mess. Um, don't necessarily want that. And plus, how are they going to determine to break down their roster, you know, from 90 to what, 53? So, um, man, I, I think the more time that they have together, the better. So I would say it's a hindrance if that time is decreased. Also, 
we would all agree, and I, I'm saying that what's the elephant in the room? We would all agree that having it on an iPad and walking through it in your front yard is not the same as uh, spending time on those, uh, you know, in, in training camps. So let's move on to Christian McCaffrey. He's right. the star of the Panthers show. Can he, will he, can he have another 400 touches? <laughs> I hope not. You know, as a, as a Panthers fan, I hope not. And I think a lot of people, McCaffrey fans, uh, are hoping not, as long as he produces the way that uh, um, they're expecting, right? You know, may not necessarily have another 1,000-1,000 season. I, I think we all can probably agree that that's most likely not going to happen. Um, however, I don't want to see him – uh, I don't. It 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 pains me to watch sometimes when when and it doesn't happen often when McCaffrey's not on the field. It's like, what well, what are they gonna do? What are they gonna run? What you know? So, um, in in one sense, I think a lot of it is McCaffrey himself. I mean, he's just a well conditioned athlete, and it's it's his decision. He says, "Hey, coach, I'm fine. I'm good. I can I can hang. Um, put me in." And um. And also, too, it depends on, on who they have to potentially replace him. You know, is that Reggie Bonifant? Is that Mike Davis? Is that some veteran signing? I mean, who knows what that's going to be? Right now, McCaffrey is the, the, the clear leader in the clubhouse, definitely, in terms of depth chart. And he's so important to the offense. Just his presence uh, is enough to confuse defenses, you know, the way how, how he's lined up and the routes that he is not only uh, capable of running, but successfully doing. So, I mean, he's a big piece of the offense. Do I think his volume is going to decrease? Man, I sure hope a little bit that it does. But I, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something that's kind of similar. Um, if I had to put a number on it, like a percentage of last year, how many how many touches did he have last year? Four hundred over four hundred. Four hundred and twenty nine. Four twenty nine. So yeah, that's an awful lot. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think that we're going to see a, a great reduction. Like I, I would be surprised if it's less than 380, even 400. I just think that he's such a big part of that offense. They're just going to continue to use him, especially Brady. And as long as he's healthy, they're going to. Why wouldn't you? Think about this. And I'm running numbers in my head. Average team gets off 65, 70 plays a game, right? Something like that. Mm-hmm. And he touched the ball 26, 27 times a game. And so that's a lot. You know what I mean? And so not only that, if he's not on the field, they are one dimensional, right? I mean, you're not going to hand it to Reggie Bonifon and say, Hey, I think we're good. You know, defense isn't going to respect that. Reese, well, what there, are were, your thoughts? there were, there were times when uh, this is back when Jonathan Stewart was on the team. I think McCaffrey's rookie year where, uh, in fact, I remember one play in particular where McCaffrey was more of a decoy and the ball wound up going to Stewart and a, like a counter tray type of run. And he took it to the house because the whole defense was over on McCaffrey's side of the field and boom, here's Stewart. Now, could they run stuff like that? Sure. Absolutely. Um, but right now they don't have that Jonathan Stewart to be that uh, complimentary type of backer player. And they haven't had that since 2017. So you're looking so, at- Lamar Miller, Devontae Freeman? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, those are the two marquee names right now that are open in free agency. Um, well, Sean McCoy, but he's, he's past his prime, I believe, you know. Um, but uh, that's a possibility. And, and there's also, like I said, Mike Davis before, who a lot of people are forgetting about. 
um, also is in the mix, you know, someone with uh, South Carolina ties. So it's possible. I know. Reese, what do you think about McCaffrey? I'm interested to hear this. I do not think McCaffrey is going to get his 429 touches, but I do think he's going to get a lot. You think mm-hmm. 430? <laughs> I, I 431? Do I hear 432? Yeah. More of like 400 of 390. But yeah. also going into like DJ Moore, I'm not exactly buying DJ Moore at his price because of because I do not want to draft a the second option on, on a team unless it's like Mike Evans inside the top four rounds or so. Well, I mean, I see your logic there, but at the same time, I mean, DJ Moore excelled so well with Kyle Allen and he was a big piece of the offense, just like McCaffrey, even with McCaffrey's huge season, Moore was able to do, you know, quite a lot. Um, and uh, I think we're going to continue to see that. I mean, he was targeted often. Uh, in fact, the only the Rams had more targets of or more more instances where a player was targeted 10 times or more in a game um so th- the passing game is is going to be key and i think more is still going to be a big part of that uh, would i rather have mike evans over dj Moore? that's a really good question uh i would i would probably rather have more than evans just because i think there's a little bit greater potential even though Evans has had six straight 1,000-yard seasons, which is very, very difficult to ignore, um, I, I think I would still take DJ Moore and the possibility that he has 80 catches, you know, 1,200 yards and seven or eight touchdowns. Could Mike Evans get that? Yes, but he's also not the, the number one. He's 1A or 1B in the Buccaneers offense. So, And I think it, it depends on who you ask. I think you probably get 50-50 on each one. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, DJ Moore or Mike Evans. The one you other give me Chris Godwin, I'll take Godwin over Moore. Yeah, the one thing to consider as we're talking about this, it's just my lowly two cents. All right, one <laughs> thing to consider is that the Panthers threw a lot of passes last year, and I expect them to be more efficient, less volume this year, which could shrink the pie for both McCaffrey and Moore in terms of upside. Right, but would you agree, though, that this is an offensive year coming up where defense is not really going to be a huge part of the game plan, especially with crowd noise being at a very low um, factor? Right, but also you have a new system, new offense, because what rank did uh, did the Panthers have last year in total passes, attempts? They were second with two with 633 attempts. Or not attempts, 633 was dropbacks, right? Right. But second, all I'm saying, Jeff, is that second goes to eight. You know, so you're still in the top mm-hmm. quarter. Mm-hmm. They lose enough volume. That's all I was getting at. Okay. But also, if you're not passing, that usually means you're running, which would increase Christian McCaffrey's value as well. Can you guess which one of the two of us had McCaffrey on their fancy team last year? <laughs> he did. Yeah. <laughs> you um, know what, Jeff? And this is not about me, but I just wanted to say I have never in all of my fantasy leagues ever, Dynasty, Redraft, anything, never had McCaffrey on any team. So I, uh, I, I have never shared that joy, and I hate it. And the year that he was a rookie, I think I had the fourth pick overall, and uh, the third pick was McCaffrey. My pick, I took Joe Mixon. And um, who was one and two? I forget who it was. Probably then. Net or and Dalvin Cook. Yeah, it, it could be. 
Um, I think you might be right. Maybe not Cook, but um, I'll have to I'll have to go back and look at. Yeah, it might. No, Camara wasn't a, a top draft. He was like a second round guy in terms of rookie drafts. And such, Who were the but, receivers that year, Jet? Uh, there was Mike Williams and Corey Davis and John Ross in the first round. So you know, tons of fun there. But along <laughs> with like Chris Godwin and Cooper Cup, Kenny Galladay later on. Yeah, I forgot who who might have been before. You know, it's it's the uh, the Sam Bowie before Michael Jordan, you know, oh, yeah. draft. But uh, uh, and Elijah one. Um, but uh, um, I don't know. What was I getting at? I lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> I almost think it's now. You know, like those people that would back in the day have the second pick and you knew LT was going number one. You're just like, Oh man, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 And so now I almost feel that way about the second pick and redrafts this year, because if you like McCaffrey one, because of his receiving upside, that's great. I don't see there being a clear cut two. And so, yeah, unless you're a big Barkley guy, but um, I, that was my point was just the fact that I've never, ever had McCaffrey on any of my teams. So I wow. just wanted to say, boo, that stinks. Cause now I'm, I'm jealous of you cause you had McCaffrey. So anyway. <laughs> All right. So let's talk. All right. We're giving DJ more pass. Cause now we're just arguing how good of a receiver one he is. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now let's look Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, and that's about all they have on the depth chart. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Seth Roberts, you know, kind of a journeyman who's been around, uh, does he make the team? Maybe, you know, but we're also talking about a base formation that's going to have three to four wide receivers. So uh, those are going to be your receivers and McCaffrey is probably included in that. Right. Uh, and then you throw in Ian Thomas, most likely it's going to be that pairing of four or five players there, including Thomas. So let's, let's think about this. So are you, a, from our conversation, I'm going to guess you're a Curtis Samuel kind of guy. <laughs> I well, I just like I just like his ability. I like his potential. I, I like his versatility, uh, his athleticism. Uh, Robbie Anderson to me also. Um, I mean, as much as as I like his ability to uh, pull in some deep passes and to have a high yards per reception, uh, I think he's lacking maybe a little bit in terms of being an overall a well-rounded receiver. And uh, I can see how Samuel is also someone that's going to be kind of like the new toy for the coordinator, in this case, Brady, to, you know, kind of use as his gadget, his weapon, his, his secondary uh, option for McCaffrey, because they both can kind of do it all. Uh, but McCaffrey is the one who, you know, gets all the publicity, but Samuel's not that far behind. So, and uh, yeah. I, I can see him being a big part of that offense because right. I mean, and Joe Brady has also said, Hey, you know, we're going to get him involved. And I forget the exact quote, but I mean, he didn't say that about a Robbie Anderson. Now, of course, um, rule might have something to say about that. Right. But um, I, yeah, I am more of a Samuel guy than a Robbie Anderson guy. So I'm going to throw this out there. I'm not saying it's literal, but I could see Robbie Anderson having a close to a season that Ashley Lalee did back in the day with 51 catches for a thousand yards. Remember that? Oh, yeah, I, I don't remember the high yards per carry or yards per uh, recut reception. I can't talk um, for Lalee, but that sort of brings back memories. Uh, you're talking Denver, right? With um, yeah, uh, who was he with at the time? Who was the other receiver? Brandon Marshall was not there that. Yeah, it wasn't Marshall yet, right? No, might have been Ed McCaffrey. 
Yeah, McCaffrey might have been too far back. But um, and Rod Smith also too far back. We're 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 going into that era in between those guys. Jake, I don't remember. Jake, I don't remember the quarterback or something. Yeah. Right, right, right. But anyway, um, could he do that? Yes, if Bridgewater gets that deep throw um, working, or if they do a lot of play action and he's the guy that they turn to in that regard. Right. Um, I would say there's probably less than a 50% chance of that happening. No. Oh, I think it's like 10%. I think, <laughs> yeah. he has a, I think he has a better chance to get a thousand yards than he does 20 yards of reception. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, there's been yeah. a lot of fast guys that have never been able to do that. And so, uh, so Reese, what are your thoughts about Robbie Anderson and, uh, and Curtis Samuel, Curtis Samuel, Matt Harmon favorite. So we don't want to talk too negatively, you know, about Matt's, Matt's guy. For me, usually a team would not uh, spend, do a two-year, $20 million contract on a guy they're going to waste unless it's the Jaguars. But, I, but the wide receiver two in Carolina last year, Curtis Samuel, got 105 targets. Wow. So it does beg the question, how, if whoever is the wide receiver two, whether we don't know that yet, I think both of them are steals at their current ADP because of the ceiling of 105 targets. There's some upside. Yeah, and I don't even know if we can safely say you know, one's wide receiver two and one's wide receiver three just because of the, the base offense that they're going to run. It's going to be more you know, like the wide receiver Y and the wide receiver Z um, you know, as opposed to – a numerical value and, and who's second or third in the depth chart. So, cause I think, I really do think that they're, they're going to be you know, used interchanged, maybe not necessarily as far as formations are concerned, but as far as usage, uh, I think they're going to see similar involvement. Yeah. My thought about Robbie Anderson is this, if Kenny Stills can be fancy viable on however many teams, <laughs> Robbie Anderson can too. And I'm a Stills fan only in that similar skill set. The one thing Stills does, though, is he, he runs a lot out of the slot, and which gives him a little – and I don't know if Anderson will be pegged outside. Yeah, and also, too, you mentioned his uh, two-year $20 million contract. If I remember, he was one of the later receivers to get signed, right? So Carolina knew they, knew they wanted to add somebody. Rule says, hey, I know this guy. His agent says, okay, if you want him, here's his price. Okay, we'll do it because we have the money. I, th- I think that's kind of along the lines of what – transpired there um and it was you know late in the free agency period so um but i I get your point if you're paying someone yeah you want to play them but in this case it could just be a case of you know where the market was what they needed and that was what they had to pay to get them and filling in the holes you know it's hard for me to imagine that that he got so much more than emmanuel sanders (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about that because I like the million. I've always liked Emmanuel Sanders, except in the Super Bowl when he uh, did that fake uh, fair catch on the punt return, and uh, you know wound up driving the uh, Broncos down the field for like what I don't know, sixty-one uh, yards. Now it's Jordan Norwood. Yeah, that was that was that was nuts. That was crazy. So yeah, other than that, I really like Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, for some reason the Bronco lover in our family had no problem with that. All right, <laughs> yeah. last question, and we'll wrap up. Ian Thomas, yeah. he's being drafted somewhere in the tight end two range, even the later in the tight end two range, where you have similar names to Chris Herndon, Blake yep. Jarwin, 
those kind of guys. Even Gronkowski's in that range. You like Ian Thomas? I don't think I like Ian Thomas over those other guys that you mentioned, but that's the range where you want to get him, right? Because that's the uh, that's kind of like the unknown tight ends. You're kind of hoping that one of them hits. And if you're going to draft a tight end like your tight end two, or maybe even your tight end three, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of risk involved, but the upside is pretty good. Now, could Ian Thomas be a difference maker on the offense? No, I don't think so. You got McCaffrey, you got DJ Moore already. The tight ends that do well are the ones that wind up, you know, taking over the offense. Look at Darren Wall, uh, Darren Waller last year, right? With the Raiders led the uh, the team in receptions. You know, you you tend to see that from these these tight ends who come out of nowhere. George Kittle, not necessarily last year, but the year before, kind of came out of nowhere. He was a tight end twenty two in the preseason, and you know he turns into uh, Superman at the tight end position thanks to Kyle Shanahan and his offense and. And of course, Kittle and his just versatility as a blocker, as a receiver, as do all everything guy. Um, so I don't think Ian Thomas is that guy. If anyone, maybe Chris Herndon, right, uh, could be you know someone who could really kind of make a difference. Otherwise, I think at best we're looking at forty-five catches and four to five touchdowns for Thomas, and that's going to get you waiver wire. You know, that's going to get you. Um, you know, uh, I hope he does well kind of start. You don't, you don't really get uh, your, your uh, elite type of tight ends or your, your top 10 tight ends uh, from production like that. And I just don't see him being a, a contributor in that offense to the point where he's going to be a, a productive option as far as fantasy. So I'm kind of staying away from Ian Thomas uh, and would rather approach someone like you mentioned, you, um, uh, Herndon. Uh, Gronkowski, Blake Jarwin is interesting. Um, and there's others too that I can't think of right now. Uh, uh, Irv Smith, love Irv Smith this year. I think he could be big. I'm a Jarwin yeah. guy, man. Witten was a uh, tight end 11 last year and he's gone. And yeah. for the same reason I like Jarwin. I don't like Waller. I mean, they, uh, I was going to say Oakland. <laughs> Vegas didn't sign Witten to come be a coach on the field. And, you know, if he yeah. did, if he takes – But Waller led the team in receptions. That's not going to go away. Right. That won't go away. It might not, but it might be reduced. Uh, though, but to your point, I did a study a few years ago. What happens, those of you that don't know, those us in the fantasy community, we all have our pet studies that we did X years ago. And <laughs> one of mine was fantasy football tight ends. And I found that the high percent, 90-something percent of fantasy tight ends that were elite, top six – were because they were the top option on their team or they were in a high-volume offense. Like Higby in the Rams last year. Yeah, but you could even say Kelsey. with He's second behind Tyreek Hill. You could say – you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Even if they're not the number one, they're in a high-volume offense. You know, Andrews is the top receiver in Baltimore. I'm trying yeah. to run through the ones in my, my – Jared Cook in New Orleans. Yep. I mean, he had a lot of touchdowns. What do you have? Nine touchdowns last year, which is you know higher than normal A for the team of the Saints, but also for him. Um, but yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's it's guys who are going to be a big piece of the offense rather than a um, a complementary type of addition. Or it's got to be a big pie. What do you have to say about this, Reese? Ol- Olson was on pace for 93 targets last year, and now he's gone. So mm-hmm. maybe Ian Thomas might take out take over for maybe yeah but over. 
Olsen was also a big leader on the offense and he was a, he was thrown to and he had targets because you know, he kind of orchestrated in a lot of ways, the huddle and the offense. And, and, you know, he was a, a big piece of that. And so if you're an important player, you're going to get the ball. If you're not so important, regardless of the offense, you're probably not going to get the ball. So that, I don't think you can, you can uh, translate Olsen to Thomas based on volume because a lot of it has to do with Olsen's uh, longevity and just his pedigree. And he knew what he played a lot because he knew the offense. Well, that's why he's already locked up to be a, an announcer and analyst. Uh, so Jeff Hasley, thank you for joining us. So those of you looking for him on Twitter, Jeff, J E F F. I know that's easy name for me to remember Hasley H A S E L E Y and Reese. Thank you. Uh, closing remarks either one of you guys yeah when's Reese going to be on Twitter well he's 14 we can't really he has <laughs> come on come on <laughs> 14 so we we got to like moderate that a little bit and so I do think he would eat up Twitter but Twitter yeah. makes him up a little bit too much too you know there's stuff you and I see that I go Reese oh. you, you can handle it Reese you can handle it it's not that bad it's not that bad jump into the the deep end young man jump in it all depends on who you're following. Obviously, if you're following the wrong people, you could potentially, you know, get into a, a situation where it's not uh, advantageous to you. But, you know, that could be sort of controlled. But anyway, looking forward to having you jump into, into Twitter. Um, uh, so getting back to last, what were you saying? Parting, parting thoughts. Parting thoughts. Uh, I, I mean, this is a, this is a strange year, uh, a strange year for fantasy too, because – Without a preseason, now it's no preseason. Um, there's going to be less knowledge of certain players that are standing out in practice. Um, there's going to be less um, awareness uh, in the fantasy community of, of who's who uh, and, and what, um, uh, what certain players are looking like. And so there's going to be a lot of um, interesting back and forth banter on, you know, is Ronald Jones the guy or are we talking Keyshawn Vaughn? You know, we're talking the, you know, the Buccaneers backfield, the Philadelphia backfield, you know, all kinds of different areas. How much is Clyde Edwards Hilaire going to be used? I mean, there's a lot of questions that we may not know the answers to until week one, two, three, even where we kind of had an idea beforehand with preseason, you know, we'd see a player, uh, I think Chris Johnson did this one year. Remember Jeff on preseason, he just went off and went, was like, Oh my God, who is this guy? Right. And uh, um, you know, we, we don't, we won't have that in the preseason. So there can be some, some, some surprises and it's going to be uh, important to follow certain people uh, beat writers and such who are going to try to give us as much information as they can. And we got to, you know, soak that up as much as we can. So it's a slightly different fantasy year that I think the, uh, the ones who are deep into it and involved, those are going to be the ones who benefit the most. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how us at Football Guys, we kind of portray that in our, in our articles, convey that, not necessarily portray, um, is what's going to be important. So, uh, yeah, my f parting thought is it's just a lot different this year, and it's going to be fun, I think. Plus the opt-out is in is yeah. August 1st, and – yeah, I would encourage anybody that's drafting between now and August 1st, just uh, go read as many articles you you can about who may opt out because that's a big deal. If you waste a first-round pick on a player that's going to opt out, that's a big yikes. 
Second of all, you mentioned the guys that blow up in preseason. Yeah. It works the other way. You remember all the Jeff Janis hype? and uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but even on the positive side, Victor Cruz broke out one, uh, one preseason, gets hurt, he gets dashed on IR, and then we see him the next year. You know, so there's, there's a lot of uh, play in there for the people who know what's going on. Reese, you have any closing thoughts for us? I think, I think that the Panthers will do better, especially with Joe Brady. But, I'm, but I also think the pe- what Jeff Hasley was saying about those who do the, mo- the research the most will get better results in fantasy. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of in, – because in, the B-Riders have already been told – we're not going to let you, you know, we're not, the teams aren't going to tip their hand on formations. We don't have preseason to know this. We don't know. So like, here's a, here's a conundrum, Jeff, and I don't mean to leave in a, uh, a hanging chat here on this, but you think about the Packers, are they going to be run heavy or are they going to go back to throwing it? How, what's AJ Dillon's role going to be along with Aaron Jones? And yeah. I just mean, there's a lot of those. It's, and don't forget Jamal Williams. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's uh, Carlos Hyde's role and Chris Carson mm-hmm. to look like in Seattle? There's a lot going on in so. San Francisco with uh, Debo Samuel kind of up in the air. There's a, there's yeah. there's an absolute lot going on. Yeah, I will say I'm on record thinking Samuel's not going to be healthy until November. I just don't. Mm-hmm. People are saying early October. We've seen those injuries many times before, and there's a lot. There's usually some kind of hiccup or something that goes on and. It's hard to always uh, – I'm an optimist. I'm a big optimist. But it's hard to assume optimism on, on foot injuries. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Jeff, for joining us. And uh, thank you, Reese. And uh, look for uh, more podcasts from us. And uh, we'll have Jeff on soon enough. Thank you, Jeff. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And good luck with the podcast. And, Reese, we'll see you on Twitter. <laughs> thank, thank you. you.